Controversial, and we probably come to no conclusion at all about them. We are Mark Reese, Jason Werbeloff, and Roman Kabanak. Present. This episode is called Drink That Drink. And I've poured for Jason, a notorious teetotaler. <laughs> and all three of us are teetotalers Roman, myself, and Jason. A tasty, sweet coffee liqueur. In a tiny little crystal cut sherry glass. I want to see if we can convince Jason to have a drink of that. <laughs> because Jason has never got drunk before in his life. Ever. Never. Um, I have felt a little tipsy once or twice. Uh, the last time, I think the last time was about eight years ago. And the time before that was about 13 or 14 years ago. What were the occasions? Uh, the one was uh, my cousin's wedding. That was the eight-year one. And 14 years ago, I think, was at Pesach, uh, where you drink four cups of wine. Yeah. How many cups did you drink? One. <laughs> <laughs> and that was enough. It was, it was those tiny little... No, they they big. It was at a religious household, and they drink wow. big, big cups of wine. Yeah. The others were all drinking all four. Yeah. Yeah, I felt sick after one. Yeah. <laughs> so what are your objections, if any, to to alcohol? Um, so I don't have objections to other people drinking alcohol. Um, it's more as it, they're not moral objections. Sure. Um, well, I think there is some moral issue involved in that if no one were to drink, I think the world would be a better place. Um, but I'm not a rule utilitarian, which is required for that kind of reasoning. Um, but I think that overall my life might be better if I don't ever drink. Um, but my main reasons are aesthetic. So I just don't enjoy the taste. I don't enjoy the experience, the feeling. Why don't you drink for mine? I mean, I, I didn't drink for a long time. I think I got drunk once at my bachelor's. I was there for that. Yes, uh, I was coerced. Uh, it wasn't a choice by any means. <laughs> by Mark. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't by me. The other two Actually, not, not by Mark. No, the other, other people there. I, I just didn't like the taste in general. However, now... I drink a glass of wine maybe once a month at dinner, and I do find that it accentuates okay. the food. So you're not a full teetotaler? No, I was for a long time, though. Okay. Um, so I only started drinking wine about three months ago. What changed? Peer pressure from my father-in-law. He's a, he's a wine connoisseur, and he says, you're missing out so much wow. on on meals and etc. if you don't drink wine. And I never disliked wine. I just didn't have a affinity towards it. So I drink bad, as I said, I drink half a glass once a month, maybe, mm. if I remember. It's not a habit at all. I think, I mean, because, and it's not a bad reason for him to say, look, I mean, there's an important thing you're missing out in life. No, he, it, his argument was the best one I've heard for drinking. So there's aesthetic value that you're missing. Yes. You could be having a better time or ex- or accentuating, as you said, the experience of the meal. Indeed. Food tastes better. And it's better. specific to red wine only. He doesn't say, you know, do five shots. And it's not merely uh, an aesthetic experience because one of the views that people have, especially in philosophy of art, is that an aesthetic experience isn't necessarily a pleasurable one. So right. you can have an aesthetic, a great aesthetic experience 
when you are looking at a sad movie or watching a horror movie yeah. or something like that. And, and some of the is... greatest pieces of art are, exactly. that make us feel awful. They can be grotesque and feel terrible. And then you, you're actually having a very good aesthetic experience. Right. Or sometimes an aesthetic experience, some people see it as appreciating the technical sides of art, uh, the formal aspects of it, such as the, the composition or so on and various things. So the, the, the point is that it's separate from having pleasure. Yes. Did he also uh, argue that it's pleasurable, aside from just aesthetic? Um, not pleasurable in the sense that... No, not pleasurable. It just says we, we, you're missing out the nuances of food. Mm. Okay. Certain foods. It's like anal sex. I would like you, Exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you can go through your whole life as a heterosexual man and never have anal sex, receptive anal sex. Yeah. And there's a kind of orgasm that you will never experience. In fact, I think it would be a great idea to save this for another episode. <laughs> is, uh, we strap uh, Ramon down. down. <laughs> <laughs> this is after the circumcision. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. And we maybe take the D. Then you get medieval. Before or after? I think I think it should happen before the circumcision. At the same so that, time, why right? not? Man, well, while we have it. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the argument at hand, um, it was very similar to your argument, Jason, when you when I told you I don't actually read fiction, mm. and you said I'm missing out on half of was it experience or knowledge. Yeah, literary remember. experience. Right. Yeah, half so, of the possible experience you so could. So by reading nonfiction, I understand the technical details and of of the world. But if I if I read fiction, I'll be able to understand uh, other views and ideas expressed through characters. And since reading fiction, and you start with your book and a few others now, I accept that. And that's the same thing with red wine. So you've read a few others as well? I'm in the process of reading another one, yeah. What are you reading? Uh, American Psycho. Oh, wow. Okay. Are you enjoying it? It's a bit long in the tooth, but yeah, it's quite enjoyable. Does it provide a qualitatively different kind of experience, a different category of experience from non-fiction? Oh, absolutely. And and yes, you can see far. value in that? Yes, by far. I mean, I do, I do think a, a well-written fiction book is like a movie or a, or a TV series, right? It's just a different format. Uh, there, there's a plot. Um, the way it's constructed, the way it's uh, explained, the writing is very important, and it makes you want to finish and see what exactly happens. And I suppose uh, what's interesting about drink is it's seen as a whole category. You might say, you know what, this is a weird-looking kind of food, the single dish, and I, I, I don't want to taste that. I never really want to taste it. And people can say, no, it's delicious. You should have some. Uh, you're missing out, and you don't have it. It doesn't seem like such a big deal. Mm. But alcohol, uh, there's so many, such a range of it. It's a huge category, like mm. fiction is. Mm. It's like, I don't want to read this book. No big deal. But it's I don't kind of like I don't want to read it at all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. So there's a very interesting analogous area of philosophy around the experience of color. So there's this famous thought experiment by Frankfurt. I think it was Frankfurt. It was by Mary. Yes, it's it's Mary's room, the, the colorless room. So Mary is this little girl who grows up in a colorless room. And she's a super scientist. And she's a super scientist. And she's very curious um, because she watches TV, but she watches it in black and white or in grayscale. And on the TV, people describe color. Um, and, and she's very curious about color. And so she investigates it, um, in this, in this colorless room. And she finds out all the properties of the color red. She finds out the wavelength of the light and she finds out, 
uh, how people feel about red and everything scientific known about red and everything written in poetry about red. But we still think that she won't fully understand redness until she sees it. Even when she knows exactly how it affects our retinas and which neurons yeah. fire when a person's yeah. looking at a fire yeah. truck. Yeah. In other words, for her to really understand redness, she has to see red. She has to leave the room and see something red. So you might say that I'm missing out on something by not drinking, which is kind of just so unlike anything I could think it is because I haven't experienced it. Yeah. Like Mary. I'm like Mary in the room. I grew up in an alcohol-free room, right? <laughs> That's right. And I can read about it and I can right. talk to you guys about it and I can watch people drink, but until I've drank anything, yeah. I can't understand it. And unless we could find something with like a very close analogy. Okay. So we could drug you up with a combination of heroin and codeine and whatever and say, you know what, this is just like drinking. <laughs> <laughs> right so you might be able to produce yeah. the experience very closely but i haven't had an experience yeah, like that yeah. so i also don't take any drugs yeah i don't smoke and i don't take pot or marijuana or cocaine or and i never have mm. i've had one drug experience which wasn't of my choosing i ate a, um, a marijuana cookie without knowing that there was marijuana in it and it was a thoroughly unpleasant experience Really did not enjoy it. Are you glad that you had that experience? Not that token experience. Not Obviously, you didn't enjoy that singular experience. Just that, that I that have time. experienced it, that kind of thing. Mm, I was very angry about it at the time. I wasn't happy about the token experience. But am I, in other words, that particular experience. But am I happy that I've had an experience? Maybe. I kind of feel a bit like you do about stuff about this, Mark. I kind of, I don't, I don't feel strongly either way about it. You're unconvinced. I'm unconvinced. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Mark, uh, so yeah. Let's get on to you now. Why don't you drink? I don't drink because you can hold. You can hold the wine glass. Oh, thank there you. There we go. <laughs> I, I don't drink because it makes me dangerously charming. It softens erections, <laughs> and it tears families apart. It's and all about all of the those erection. Are related. <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. That was a joke. Uh, the, real, the real reason. Is uh, it makes me feel ill. Really? Yeah, especially if I combine it with food. Few occasions when I decide that, I, you know, I'm going to have a drink. If I don't have to choose between a drink and food, which I always choose the food, uh, is... Um, <laughs> Mark cooks very well, in case anyone doesn't know this. Then, uh, then, then I will have a drink. So it's mostly because it makes me feel ill. And although I get some of the benefits of it, such as that pleasurable like loss of control lack of inhibition uh a little bit of joviality i don't get something that people describe to me as a buzz what do you feel supposed to have when you bit. drink Ramon? i hardly ever drink um at all when i did i think twice no i'm talking I about this one oh uh, just food. in general yeah well i have one glass and it does actually loosen me up a little bit i do find the conversation flows easier hmm. Uh, especially if other people are having wine as well. And it's actually a centerpiece of the conversation to initiate it. If you don't know someone else at the table, uh, you can use it as a prop. It works really well. And in fact, I really regret that I can't drink much. So you see it as you can't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, whereas I won't. Yes. Right. Uh, or maybe you'll find out that it makes you very ill. I mean, it doesn't make me very ill, but ill enough for a few days um, oh, days? Yeah, a few Not days. just minutes? No, I feel kind of like um, sluggish and... So I feel the same way when I drink coffee. Yeah? And people think I'm nuts 
they think I'm mad. And they, but people get offended when I don't drink coffee. And some people get offended when I won't drink alcohol. They're right to be offended when you won't drink alcohol. <laughs> Depending on the circumstance, Jason. I mean, right. So there are times when I drink, and these are times when, for instance, there's a toast at a friend's wedding. Okay. I'm not going to not toast them and have a drink and maybe enjoy the taste. If it's not champagne, which I find quite gross. You can't toast them with sparkling water. No, that's cheating. But why? The sentiment is the same. I honor whatever it is we're toasting and drinking down my delicious beverage. I do think it's a little bit of a, a cheaty substitution. Uh, <laughs> I could get away with it. Right. And people wouldn't know. But, you know, I just may as well do it properly and have a uh, have a little drink of, of wine. And I think if I refuse to do that, they'd be the, have a right to be offended. Hmm. Another time that I that I have a drink when I think it's the right thing to do is when somebody else is very excited about a drink and they want me to taste it. We've got friends who like to brew their own beer or they get very excited about some whiskey that they've... Mark, Mark, we've brewed this just for you! Exactly. Or I've put mm. so much effort into it and yeah. I'm so proud of my beer, whatever. Of course, this person's a friend. I lost three fingers <laughs> during this process. Yes. They're in the beer! Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's a unique taste. I really hate those situations, though, because it's mm. often quite shit. Mm. The, the beer, or mm. I hate beer. Mm. Yeah, and I want to make a good whiskey in the garage. But even if it's not something they, they made, but they're excited about it and they imported it from Japan mm. and they want you to taste it, well, you'll have a sip. I'll have a, I'll, what do you call it when you just put it to your lips? and A kiss. And two <laughs> drops roll down your throat. Huh. If two drops. Huh. I can't remember what it's called. I've done that. Oh, have you done that? Okay. Yes. And that's I've what I do. Yeah. I don't take a gulp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you've provided two arguments for drinking, and the one is the experience is a different category, right? It's mm-hmm. like nothing else. And the other one is like social cohesion. Yes. Okay. And, and sometimes the second one can definitely get very overbearing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. So I, I'd like to, as I think as any good philosopher should, I'd like to question both. Why is social cohesion important and why is it important to experience every category of experience? I mean, there's certain categories of experience that I don't think it is a good idea to experience just because they're a different category. So, for example, having a limb chopped off. It's probably like nothing else you've ever experienced. Or ODing. Or ODing or, um, or bungee jumping. Okay, That would be like a middle ground. Some people would say you should because it's that category. But let's stick with those more difficult examples. Well, in one of these, it might be the case that you're opening up something that could bring you a lot of pleasure and a lot of reward for the rest of your life. I mean, because we're not asking you to, to drink often or regularly or even more than once, just once, Jason, to have enough of a drink that you can have possibly a buzz and loosen up and enjoy the giddiness. And mm. it could be something that you really, really like. And it'll lead to lifelong drinking. You might even become an alcoholic. <laughs> Wonderful, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it'll ruin your liver. And how about if I were to say to you, Mark, have you ever had an arm chopped off? I haven't. And how do you know that you aren't actually... There's a name for it. People who adore having limbs chopped off. Yeah, yeah. There's a sexual pleasure that they get from it. You're right. So, so if I were to say to you, I don't know what these people are called. I don't know what the official name is. Uh, let's call them gobbledygooks, right? And I say to you, all right, Mark, you, you don't know whether you're really a gobbledygook. And you won't know until I chop off this arm. Why don't we 
Just once. We can sew it back on afterwards. Just once. Let's chop off that arm. And if you don't like it then, then okay. All right. We won't chop off any more limbs. But let's, let's just, we should hold Mark down, right? And chop off at least <laughs> just, just one. Only it's not me. <laughs> because th- this could open up a lifetime of gobbledygooking. And you're missing out on perhaps something. I know, I know. Listeners, and I shouldn't be revealing this on, on the air, but I know that Mark has, has a penchant for, for people with limb extensions, for prosthetics. He likes prosthetics in people. He finds them sexually attractive. So it's actually not the prosthetic. It's like the, the things that augment them. Like if somebody's okay. got, um, like weird kind of like scientific metal thing on, hmm. on, on an existing limb. And Fine. we could, and we could do it to you, Mark. We could yeah. chop off those limbs and put on these deliciously metal cybernetic replacements. You might find it incredibly arousing, a lifetime of joy. There is an important difference. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really pushed the case a bit, but all right. <laughs> okay. So what are the differences is that it's irreversible. Oh, we could sew the arm back on. Oh, well, if you can't sew the arm back on... Then Then are you okay with us doing this? I might. Ramon, get the knife. (laughs) So I think you've got very little to lose uh, when you have a drink for for the first time. It's not like... I don't think it's like what people say uh, heroin is like when it's super addictive, where Mm. you have that little uh, shot of heroin, and it's a wonderful experience, but... It can also have terrible consequences when you become addicted to it and mm. it ruins your life. Mm. But same can be said about sushi, right? Yeah. When you try sushi for the first time, it's never great. You don't think, ah, it's delicious. Mm. You think, there's something there, but I need to have, have some more or, or mm. different types. Multiple limbs, multiple sushi pieces. Yeah, multiple sushi pieces. And if you eat too much sushi, you get mercury poisoning. It's not pleasurable right at the beginning. Mm. But you might say, I've, I've done that already, right? So I have... I have had that one glass 18 years ago or 14 years ago, and I have had had I have had enough to know that I don't enjoy the experience. So Mark's point is you should just have more, right? Or like Ramon's point, you should have like with the sushi, you should have more. I, I do think that is a good point. It is a good point, but I do think you have to actually intend to try enjoy that drink. It seems strange. It not, seems strange. Not, not through social pressure. Yeah, you just sit at home. You have a steak. In front of you, and you're like, you know what? Let me pour three sips of red wine, and let me eat and have a sip. With yeah, the right sort of feel. attention. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now that's fair enough. I mean, my mm-hmm. early experiences might have like pushed me away from alcohol prematurely. So I had a partner when I was very young. I was 16, and he loved to get drunk and get into car accidents. I don't know if he enjoyed <laughs> the car accident part, but he enjoyed getting drunk just before he got in the there car. There was a movie called Crash. Crash, yeah, got yeah, yeah. By Looking at car accidents or... No, and participating. Oh, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Was it a J.G. Ballard? It was. Book? Yeah, and then it was made into a movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he might have bought it on that, um, but it put me off alcohol. Now, you might say if I hadn't had that experience, that I would have been maybe had better intention around drinking, and then it would have had a better, better experience. Well, that's what happened to me. Um, my family doesn't really drink much at all. Um, and I mean, in high school and... <clears throat> university there's a great drinking culture but people do it specifically just to get drunk mm. as quickly as possible so mm. there's no cult there's not really a culture mm. <laughs> but once i met someone who actually understood the nuances and what it does um to food specifically that persuaded yeah. me to to try it out 
properly in Equus. And I do know I do know your father-in-law, and he is yeah. uh, uh, he's a geek and a connoisseur about many things, <laughs> yes, yes. including alcohol. Uh, red wine, wine. specifically. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, so why stop at red wine? Because white wine's supposed. To, I I really have very very rudimentary knowledge of this. But of white wine's supposed to be good with fish or white whatever. White wine for or... women, firstly. Oh, uh, really? Really? I <laughs> thought the big difference was that red wine spills more readily. <laughs> um, I never tried a white wine. I think I've tried it, but hmm. I haven't. I've tried. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of wine, and I have had some that I found. Um, Pleasant and drinkable, and there are some drinks that I've had that are quite nice. Hmm. They're usually cheeky cocktails with a lot of sugar in them. There's not much taste of alcohol, and there isn't much, right? Which is why I poured this for you, which oh. is uh, kind of sweet. It's a liqueur. Let me smell it again. Go on. So it is very sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, have a sip. I'll take a sip. Yeah, it's a, it's a coffee liqueur. Sure, like it is it? very sweet. Do you like the taste? I do like the taste. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Now down it. <laughs> so I did a I did a Roman. I just put it to my lips and let two drops go down my throat. It was very nice. That's how it works. Hmm. And then you take a bigger sip and it's disgusting. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so true though. I don't like that burning sensation no, that alcohol either. gives you. And all alcohol does. I'm well, gonna give it I'm gonna give I'm gonna well, give what about, what about, um so you've never been drunk in a hedonist at the same time? Because you are a hedonist. I am you? a hedonist, yes. Don't you think being tipsy or drunk would accentuate that? Even instrumentally. Like, you might not enjoy the mm. alcohol I- itself the way it makes you feel, but it, it would mm. open up the possibility of additional pleasures to you. You see, the reason I don't drink is I assume that it won't. I assume that, A, in the long run, if I were to drink more often, it would lead to negative utility, negative pleasure overall, over time. But secondly, I've never really enjoyed drinking, even within the experience. You know, not long term, just short term. I've never enjoyed it. And it feels to me it's kind of like whatever enjoyment I would get out of it wouldn't be more than drinking a Coke Zero um, or, a, or a nice lemonade, a non-alcoholic drink, in other words. I mean, drinking for me, drinking, uh, drinking liquid isn't that pleasurable. I do yeah. enjoy eating. Well, the, the additional pleasures that I was speaking about was when you lose some inhibition, lose a bit of control. Yeah, yeah. see, I've um, never enjoyed that. I've never enjoyed that experience. Maybe because I'm a total control freak when it comes to my own mind. But the experience, look, the experience isn't the losing of the control, the lack of inhibition. The experience that I'm talking about are the experiences you have because you have lost control or inhibitions. When you do oh, something right. absolutely of course. silly and yeah. fun. Yeah. I think I'm just too through and through a philosopher to enjoy that. Um, I mean, it's not like I never let go intellectually. So, I mean, sex is not an intellectual operation, or at least I don't think it should be. So, and I enjoy that. Um, or I enjoy uh, listening to a good audiobook beyond just um, Mark's beautiful voice and, and the like intellectual components of the story. I enjoy the experience of being read to. Um, so, I mean, I do have like sensate experiences, but I've never thought of drinking as helping me with that. Ramon and I have appointed ourselves <laughs> to <laughs> to help organise your bachelor's party, which is going to be coming up in the near right. future. Right. Will you have a drink then? <laughs> um, okay, I'll have a drink then. With cool. every single person. I mean, attendance. To you, the, you mean uh, one what? drink with each person? No. <laughs> no that, is that what happened at yours, Ramon? Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, that was. Uh, I think you, you missed a lot of your bachelor's party because you were so. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Well, uh, I left at half past eleven. Yeah. Well, I didn't leave. 
Like I had to. You were dragged. I was dragged out. Carried. Just enough to of getting silly drunk. I just don't see. I do see it's a different category of experience yeah. to be silly, right? Mm. As opposed to being in control. But I just don't see why it's a better category of experience. It isn't necessarily. Oh, the other thing it does is not only create you pleasure, but there are people who claim that it deadens the pain. <laughs> and I yeah. don't mean the physical pain. You mean emotional pain. Emotional pain. Maybe I'm just not in enough pain. You're not in enough, yes, you're not <laughs> enough pain to warrant a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's the problem. But what about, uh, okay, maybe not alcohol, but drugs are used often by rock stars and uh, right. other people to actually uh, elevate their, their skill sets. Um, oh, so right. A lot of great, and writers. A lot of comedians use cocaine. A lot of sure, writers use sure. who knows what. Don't you think maybe drinking could accentuate your skill set in terms of your writing skills, perhaps? I'm very skeptical about that. I'm also, and this is a very interesting question for me, suppose it did accentuate my skill set. It wouldn't be me writing the book. It wouldn't be you writing. It wouldn't the book. be me writing the book. If I were to take a drug and then write much better than I normally would, suppose my readers suddenly said, "He's suddenly good. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he was shit before you. Well, he was like mediocre to shit before, but now he's great." I would feel when I came off the drug and I saw the feedback, I would feel I feel no pride in the work, and I'd feel no, I'd feel like it was someone else's work that they read. So I know a guy. And I'm not going to mention his name. And he's he's quite an alcoholic. And I've never known him when he's sober. And I'm like, oh, you know. Never? Never. You've never spent time with him no. sober? I, I mean, I don't spend that much time with him. Okay. But uh, mutual friends of ours have said that, you know, when he's sober, great guy. Uh, and I say, you know what? I don't, don't like so-and-so so much because he's up in a bit of like a aggressive and snarky and, hmm. uh, and not present and whatever. And I only see him drunk and they're like, oh, yes, but you don't know the real so-and-so. Yeah, and However, I, I'm saying there's a real so-and-so. So do you think there is a real so-and-so and a not real so-and-so? Because drunk, his name... I don't know, I don't know this person, so, so I'm just okay. calling him well, John. Let's call him John. So John is drunk like 90% of the time. And it's like they that's not the real John. Ah, and then so, the 10% okay. of the time when okay. he's sober, that's the okay. real John. But do you think there's a real or a not real? Or when a person is in a, a certain mood, it's not the real them. Like if you're grumpy or when you're yeah. sad, you, but but of course not the real you. If you if you well, none of you had like a corporate job. Jason <laughs> did for like I had eight da- eight and a half days. Oh wait, I had oh, really? one for like for half a year. Half a year, half a, a year corporate mark. job. Wow. Well, but, it was corporate technical. It was nice. But while days. you were there. You weren't the same person in your office and you weren't the same when you were at home, right? Correct. You were two different people. But that's my problem. That's why I can't hold down an office job. Because I can't I can't split off like that. But perhaps maybe maybe a lot of arguments have been made, especially by comedians, that drugs merely accentuate the mindset to right. create jokes or to right. or to write uh, lyrics right. or to songs. So you become like more that. you instead you of become not you. more you. Very not interesting. Because you, Did... you actually live on a very mm. mediocre plane. Mm. Mm. Thanks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> not you specifically. <laughs> right. All of us. Because we're, right. uh, we're but me especially because I don't drink. Because we're assaulted. <laughs> no, but we're assaulted by mediocrity everywhere we go, right? So if we go, if we are alone mm. and we take whatever, LSD, mm. once every six months, mm. that will enhance your creativity. Mm. Maybe same with alcohol. You don't know that. Yes, it's more you than not you. I mean, what I, my, intuitively, what I'd like to do is appeal to some kind of principle. And the principle would be something like, 
and it's it's, it's going to be a principle which kind of touches on another topic that we talked about, which is um, circumcision, male circumcision, which is that if you don't alter me, right, if you don't change me, then I'm more me than I would have been if you did change me. Um, like if you circumcise a, a male child, you know, he's more himself if you don't circumcise him, um, which I don't agree with, but I, but, but I hold the principle in this case. So I know there's a problem with this principle, but it, it's held quite intuitively. I hold, I hold it in, I was going to say held intuitively by me because I'm busy examining myself. Yeah. I mean, my intuition is it doesn't make me more me. Why do you okay. think it does? I don't. It wasn't my the argument. drug. I mean, uh, I just think perhaps it can break out of the ordinary daily cycle of life. Okay. And the one time you actually do, it's like meditation. I would yeah, assume, yeah. So that's a nice uh, notion, the, the everydayness. Okay. Yes. So your friend, you say you've never seen him, John, or not friends, yeah. acquaintance. We've never seen, you've never seen John sober. His everyday is drunk. Right. So I would say that is who he is. He is who he is drunk. But me who, I don't drink at all, right? If I were to take a drink, I'd become, a, I assume, a very different kind of person. Or put it this way, if there was a change, it wouldn't be my normal self, right? Mm. Because it, it would be so different to what I do every day. So that's why I'm suggesting maybe we should define like who you really are as who you are most of the time. And I suppose what you'd want to do is take certain aspects and say the degree at which they are is also important to who you are. Because, uh, say more. So if you take an aspect like your silliness or your creativity or your uh, sarcasm, anguish or self-loathing, uh, you've got it, you've got it to, to a certain degree, all those aspects. Mm, there's like a homeostasis. And then when you take the alcohol, those things, are, some of them achieve different levels. Mm. You can become more mm. self-loathing or mm. less so. Mm. And so... If the degree of those things are important to who you are, not that I think actually we can discuss that as another point, that there is such a thing as who you are, there's no core. Mm. Um, if those things change, then you're no longer, mm. by degree, not mm. qualitatively. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily um, holding the, the idea that there's like a permanent core, and I don't want to get into this too much here, but just that there's, um, there's a more frequent um, configuration of degrees of all these different states in you. These, And I think it's uh, it answers your question earlier, Mark, about... Uh, if you were to change your mood, does that mean you're not really who you are? And I think that's true. I think if your mood changes to such a point that all your configurations uh, switch too much, you know, so let's say you get really angry and your configuration of calmness changes entirely and your configuration of, I don't know, of, of boldness. <laughs> boldness changes and yeah, yeah, your aggression changes. And then I don't think you really are being who you are anymore. Could you be better? And is it is it better to be better than who you are or better oh, to be authentic to who you are? It's a good question. Like how important is it to be yourself as opposed to better than who you yeah. are? Yeah, and it comes back to what, what Ramon said. So how important is it that I am me as opposed to writing better work on the drug, which is more important? Surely it should depend on you. Oh, that's a good point. So if I value who I am, then it's more important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure you can see uh, there are ways in which you would like to improve, ways in which uh, you'd like to change which you would see it as improvement. Yeah, so I, I listened to a Radiolab episode, which mm. is a fantastic podcast, and they did one on mushrooms. And you're talking to someone right now who's never taken mushrooms and has never considered it. And when I listened to that show, by the end of it, I was convinced that this is something valuable to try. Because, and this is the reason, the experience changed those people who took the mushrooms permanently. When they've taken, I think it's called psychocybin, 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 yes. yeah, that's the active ingredient. Um, and they've, they've given it to people, put them in an fMRI, and 
had a look at what happens. It permanently alters neural circuits. It permanently alters the way their brains are structured. And the, that alteration in many cases, and in all the cases of the people interviewed on this, this podcast, were very positive. And that I found fascinating. Because then it wouldn't be a case of me not being who I am. It would be a case of me changing who I am. Maybe permanently, for the better. Possibly for the better. Or possibly for the worst. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Yeah. So when, was the, when did I listen to this episode? It was about two years ago. And have I tried? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> so it's not very likely that you'll have the drink, except at your bachelor's party, where we're going to be those assholes who insist. <laughs> but not with each of you, please. Just no, one no, is no, enough. No. <laughs> if you had a choice, what type of drink? Um, what so would it be? Once upon a time, before I stopped drinking, I enjoyed white wine. Oh, yeah. excellent. In the box. From a bottle. A bottle, I think. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, it sounds better from a bottle, yeah. <laughs> at university, they used to do this thing called the, I think it was a butt funnel. <laughs> you, you have a couple of chaps. This sounds like something out of a South Park episode. This might appeal to you, Jason. <laughs> you take a couple of <laughs> you take a couple of fellows and they take off their trousers, <laughs> their face away from each other, bend down. Of course they do. Yes, yes. they face away from each other, bend down so that their butt cheeks are, are touching each other, but there's still an open cleft between. And then a third fellow, perhaps the one who's lost or won a bet, depending, uh, gets to go underneath. And then um, cold beer is poured between the clefts of the anus, through the genitals and all that kind of stuff. So have you... down the bottom and... And in fact, I know the... I'm not going to mention his name. I I know the person who's supposed to be the last person. It's not John. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, and I'll tell you afterwards. In fact, I'll tell you now uh, because I'll just I'll edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He, he was supposed to be the last person in our university to have uh, been the person at the, the receiving end of the hmm. butt funnel. So, have you ever been the receptor of the butt funnel? No, I haven't. But it could be a whole new quality, a whole category of experience that you've never experienced, and it could change what you do every Friday night. I've had I've had warm beer. <laughs> this has been an episode of Unconvinced with Mark Reese, Jason Werbelock, and Man Covenant.